0: Second part of talking about this concept of unity. Unity being God's model, God's desire, God's plan. If you want to know what God's plan is for marriages, here it is. It's unity. You want to know what God's plan is for families? Here it is. It's unity. Want to know what God's plan is for the church, the body of Christ at large across denominational lines? You may tell you what it is. It's unity. It's, unity. it's so clear that we would come together. How many of you watched the Super Bowl game back on February the 13th? Any football fans? A few? I'm surprised. I thought more would have watched the game. You missed a great game. It was a phenomenal game. And I got to be honest with you, I was hoping, I was hoping that the Cincinnati Bengals would win because it had been like so long. I'm always for the underdog, right? I was hoping they would win. But um, at the end of the day, it was the LA Rams that won the Super Bowl. But as I was thinking about that, that game What position the L.A. Rams to win like the biggest football game of the year, right, the Super Bowl, was not just their talent. Obviously, they have a lot of talented players, right? I mean, they have some gifted, talented athletes on the team. But how many many of you know talent is not enough, talent alone? But it was the talent that was united that brought them to victory the biggest game of the year at Super Bowl Fifty Six. I mean, could you imagine if you had all of that talent out on the field and everyone was doing their own thing? Like, I'm going to run my play. I don't want to run your play. I'm going to run my play. I don't want to play my position. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do my own thing. How many of you know, in that chaos, it was not the possibility of victory. But because they brought their talent together and that talent was united, what? It brought them victory. It made them, it made them successful. This is what I know today. Unity brings effectiveness. Unity brings it brings strength. And unity helps helps us all become better because simply this we can support each other. Like your strengths cover my weaknesses. And my strength covers your weaknesses. And then together, we're better. That's the bottom line, right? With unity, together, we're better. Matter of fact, tell your neighbor this morning, say, hey, together, we're better. And if you said that to your wife right now, she says, I know that, right? But it's true. Together, we're better. That's, that's the value. That's the value of unity. We are stronger together. If I were to take one small twine like this piece of yarn if I were to take one small twine, it doesn't take much to break the twine, right? Like anyone here could do that. Even a child could have broke a string. It's not like, "I'm so strong. Look at him. He just broke the string. No. It, it, like, it doesn't take a lot to break one string. But when we take several twines, let's say we take 50 or 100. Maybe hundred and fifty of those small twines. And we begin to weave them together. We begin to get this. We begin to unite them. Then we end up with something that that can't that can't be broke, right? What their strength. Matter of fact, my brother Mao, he's quite strong here. Mao here, grab the other end of that rope. Let's see if we can break this. Don't don't pull me off the stage, brother. <laughs> don't embarrass me in front of all of my friends. So this rope is simply a lot of little twines that have been united together. And in that, there's a string that can't be broken. And that's the value of unity. That's why the Apostle Paul, and Marcus shared this verse last week, but I want to bring you back to it this morning. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 4:3: make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Pastor Marcus said it like this, strain every nerve, working toward unity. That's why just before going to the cross, John 17, I mean, of all of the things that Jesus could have prayed for, for the church, what did he pray for? That we would be one. That we would be together. That we would be united And we see then the power of this unity playing out following Christ's crucifixion. We see the unity played out in the church. We we see unity happening among the believers. The unity that positioned the early church for effectiveness. Hey, if we don't have unity, then we lose effectiveness. Several years ago, I had a pastor friend who was pastoring a church right here in our community. It was a, a significant church in our community And because he and I met once a month and had coffee and uh, chocolate chip cookies, um, we would kind of share our life experiences, our church experiences. Uh, I would get to talk about all of you, and he would talk about all of his church members um, in a safe place, right? And as I was walking alongside this pastor in this season, he began to share some of the struggles that was happening in the church that he was leading. And there was, there was this infighting. There was this conflict. Now, these are people who love Jesus, but they were so conflicted internally, they were so fighting amongst themselves, and they had so much division in this church that they were no longer effective in the mission in the community. Like, all of their energy was spent fighting one another in the building. Therefore, the mission happening in the community wasn't happening Why? Because they were were not united. I believe believe one of Satan's strategies is to limit or or destroy the church through division. Really simple. If Satan can deceive us and get us self-focused, fighting amongst ourselves and divided, then this is what happens. We're defeated. Really simple. If We're divided, we're defeated. One of the great preachers from years past, Charles Spurgeon, made this statement. It's a phenomenal statement, so accurate. He says, Satan hates Christian fellowship. It's his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He attaches far more importance to godly community than we do. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. So there's no way around it. Unity is strength and division is weakness. Unity brings effective, effectiveness, division robs us of the potential that could be. And we see the potential, again, as we look to Acts chapter 2, we see this playing out in the early church. What made the early church effective? They were obviously empowered by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 has happened, but beyond the empowering of the Holy Spirit, there was a unity, There's a unity in the early believers. And Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, gives us this snapshot, this picture, if you will, of what this unity looked like. So if you have your Bibles, I just want to read a few verses here, beginning with verse 42. It says, they, being the early believers, noticed they devoted themselves. In other words, they were committed to, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Notice verse 44, all the believers were together. I mean, They were united. They were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And notice what happens. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So from this description of what was happening in the early church, what words would you use to describe the early church from what we just read? What descriptive words would you give of the, of the early church? Really loud, because I don't have my hearing devices in today. I'm sorry, Linda, you said love. love. Yeah, the the early church was marked by a love that was about others. It was not about self-seeking. It was about caring for others. If we're going to have unity, then love has to be a big part of that. But What else would you say about the early church? I'm sorry, Linda? Togetherness. Yeah, they were like caring for one another. They were linked together. They were together, sharing time, sharing fellowship. Someone else? They were harmonious in their purpose. They were harmonious in their purpose. Their purpose was to glorify God. That was the focus. And as their focus was on glorifying God, then it made way for unity among the believers. Anyone else? All of these are right. Salvation and deliverance. Now, miracles were happening. The Holy Spirit was revealing the power of Jesus to save, to heal, to restore, and it happened because of the unity. Hey, when we are, listen, if we, can catch this, if we can catch this church, it'll transform the church and it'll transform our community because when the body of Christ comes together and we're united, it opens the way for the Holy Spirit to work dynamically. Miraculously. Miracles were happening in the early church. Why? Because they were united and it created the way or it opened the way for the Holy Spirit to manifest healing, saving power of Jesus. All of this was happening in the early church. So, as we look to the early church, what we discover three things is that they focused on what mattered, not their differences. What mattered, not their differences. Now, there were a lot of differences. I mean, there were differences of personality. There was differences of ethnicity. There were differences of backgrounds. I mean, there's all of this diversity. There's all of this, these cultural differences, but they didn't focus on the differences. They focused on that which mattered. What mattered was keeping God the focus of their worship. What mattered was love and care for one another. What mattered was unity and their diversity. In other words, they kept the main thing the main thing. They kept their focus on Jesus. That was the main thing, and in that, they were able to unite. The early church also made fellowship and building community a priority. If you look back to verse 44, the Scripture says, all the believers were together They were linked together. And had everything in common. Unity was not like a secondary issue. It was a primary issue. The early believers in the church were willing to sacrifice their good for the good of others. That's an important, significant statement. They were willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others. They they didn't just pray for unity. They were engaging in and working for unity. They took what Jesus said about love one another and they put it to work. How might the church look different today? I'm not just talking about grace covenant, but I'm talking about the body of Christ at large. How might the body of Christ at large look different today if we really took the command to love one another and we lived that out? It wouldn't be a, listen, there wouldn't be a race problem. There wouldn't be political differences that divide. There, there would, one, because love is the priority that's what we see in the early church. They were simply taking the direction of Jesus to love one another, and they were living that out. They were not self-seeking. They were actually operating for the good of others, empowered by the Holy Spirit. As a result, as a result, we see this dynamic explosion that happened um, with people everywhere getting saved. In the early church, The way I read this text, the early church was a dynamic force because they were united. That was the key. The gospel spread from from Jerusalem to the the ends of the earth. Folks, this is what I know today. God desires and he blesses unity. Psalm 133 makes that very clear. What does God desire and what does he bless? He blesses unity. Jesus prayed for unity the holy spirit dynamically works through unity so here's the big question this morning what keeps us from unity why are we so divided well, let me say it like this why can't we get along <laughs> why can't we move together What's the problem? We say we love Jesus, but we don't love our brother. I think there's a problem. And the the greatest problem for unity today is not the political issues, not the race issues, not the COVID issues, not the vaccination issues. Those are all issues. That's not not the foundational root of the problem of why we're not united. Can I tell you the greatest problem It's you. It's me. You know, oftentimes when we think about unity, we're pointing our finger at someone else when we should be looking here, when we should be examining our own heart. And I think, as I've studied this out and as I've, Watch what's happened. And even as I've looked into my own soul, I believe that the greatest challenge of unity today is me. It's you. When we get selfish and we get self-centered, we're demanding our rights and we're demanding our way and we're elevating what we want above what someone else wants. What does it do? It keeps us divided. So what are the hindrances? Again, God desires unity. Jesus prayed for unity. The Holy Spirit dynamically works through unity. So what keeps us from you? What are the four hindrances? I'm going to give these to you really quick. The the first hindrance is this. We have an adversary who seeks to divide her through division. I think we have to start there. Now, 1 Peter 5.8 says this, be self-controlled and alert. For the adversary, your devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he may devour. And I think one of the ways that the enemy devours today is he creates division. He creates division in marriages. There's not unity. Two are to to become one. That's called unity, right? So how how does the adversary devour marriages? He brings division that breaks up unity. How does the adversary destroy families? He brings division that separates relationship. How does the adversary limit and restrict the effectiveness of the church? Listen, it's really simple. Just get them fighting amongst themselves. Just getting, get them squabbling amongst themselves, and they lose sight of the mission. They lose sight of the Savior because they get so so all the enemy needs to do is what? Get us divided, right? Get us fighting amongst ourselves, and unity goes to the wayside. Unity, Unity doesn't happen. So, so first, we have an adversary who wants to keep us divided. Satan's simple strategy is to divide and conquer. And again, if he can keep us fighting amongst ourselves, he wins. Hell wins. I think first and foremost, we need to realize that when we're working for unity, we're engaging in spiritual warfare. I'll say that again. As we're working for unity, Ephesians 4.3 says, make every effort. As we're working for unity, what do we doing? We're engaging in spiritual warfare because we are operating against the very strategy of hell that wants to divide marriages, divide families, divide churches. So as Peter says in 1 Peter 5a, we need to be aware. We need to be alert. Why? We have an adversary that wants to divide. Here's a second hindrance or obstacle that keeps us from unity. We become self-focused and self-consumed. Self-focused and self-consumed. I know that's probably no one in this service. This is probably for second service. I need to make myself a note. Only I wasn't supposed to talk about that to you. So unity is only possible, it's only possible when we're focused on the good of others. Only possible. If I'm focused on me and what I want and what I can take from you, we'll never get to unity. That's what we see in the early church. They were caring for one, they were others, they were others focused. But when you get, when we get self-focused and self-consumed, and we're driven by what we want and what we think we have to have, it feeds division. It doesn't build unity. I mean, you've seen this happen before. You have two children playing in a sandbox, and they are having the time of their lives. They're excited. They're laughing. Everything is wonderful until one of the kids says, all of these toys are mine, and you can't play with them. How many of you know fun leaves the sandbox at that point? Right? All of a sudden, when we have division, we have strife. Why? Because someone got, someone got selfish. When you have a marriage relationship where two individuals are, are focused on the, goods, on the good and the needs of their mate, in other words, they're not living for themselves, they're living for their mate, in that you have unity. But you take any marriage relationship, and I've seen this happen so many times, You take any marriage relationship, again, where two are supposed to be one, united, any marriage relationship where either one, husband or wife, becomes selfish and self-seeking, what you find is you find division sets in, strife sets in. And if that's not resolved, it eventually becomes separation. And if we don't stop at that point, it eventually leads to divorce. Listen, I've seen it countless times. What, someone, someone got selfish in the marriage relationship, and all of a sudden, unity went out the door. When you have a church or a community of people where individuals are focused on others and how they can help, how they can serve, this is what you discover. You discover health and unity. But if you have a church community of people where individuals are only living for themselves and what they can get, you have conflict, strife, and division. Listen, the bottom line is when we become self-focused and self-consumed, it's about what we want and what we think we have to have, and we're demanding our rights, what happens? Again, unity goes out the door. We're feeding, we're feeding division. That's why the Apostle Paul gave us the direction Found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. This is how this scripture reads. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. In other words, it's not about you. In the marriage relationship, it's not about you. It's about the one you committed your life to. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others. Where are we putting the value? I'm going to ask you again. Some of you got it. Where are we putting the value? Others. On others. Value others. What? Above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but, but each of you to the interest of others. Listen, humility is the key to unity. Humility. That's why whenever I do premarital counseling, I'm quick to tell the couples, listen, the most important quality you can build into the foundation of your marriage is humility. Humility. Not about what you can get. It's about what you can give. Not about seeking your own interest. It's about dying to yourself. That's what marriage is all about. It's dying to yourself. So that you can serve your mate, and in that, what do you discover? You discover this amazing unity. You discover the reality of two becoming one. So unity is not just about the church. Obviously, it's a part of the church. It's what we're working for in the church. But this applies to so many areas of our lives. So humility—it's the key to unity. When the focus is on me, myself, and I, unity will be missing. In the marriage, in the family and in the church. Let me say it another way. Selfishness and self-centeredness will always result in division, but humility and being others-focused will always lead us toward unity. So so what's the hurdle? What's the hindrance? What's the obstacle? We get selfish. That's the challenge of unity. Here's a third obstacle that keeps us from living in unity. We value being right more than we value being united. Let me say it like this. We value winning at all costs more than we value unity. I've got to win. I've got to have my way. I've got to be right. And when we take the position that I'm right and you're wrong or I have all the answers and you don't, then we're feeding division. We're creating a situation that keeps us from unity. You know, in our present reality, there have been some tough issues to navigate, like political issues, COVID issues, vaccination issues, race issues. And I think all of these are volatile topics that stir a lot of emotion, and they've created division in the church and, and in our community. Now, it's, it's, But I would say that the challenge is, is really not those issues. The challenge is how we've responded to those issues. The challenge is when we engage in a conversation that's political or a conversation about race or a conversation about COVID and we think we have to be right. That means someone else has to be wrong. And in that, we posture ourselves to feed division rather than working for unity. So what we wanna have a posture. We wanna have a posture of listening and learning. We wanna have a posture of not defending ourselves or defending our position, but be, being, being willing to listen, to learn, to grow. Rather than fighting for a position, what do you think it might look like if we chose to fight for unity? Rather than fighting to be right, what might happen if we said, no, this, this is where I'm gonna pour my energy. I'm gonna work for unity. You know, I think of a relationship I have With a pastor here in our community great church great ministry partner but he and i have a difference and it's a difference about women in leadership in the church um the way he interprets the bible he comes to a different conclusion than i've come to um the way i interpret scripture i believe that there's a place for women to lead in the church not only that but my my experience, I think most of you know my story. There was a woman, a single woman, who came to the Ozark Mountains back about 1942. She brought the gospel message to the Ozark Mountains. My grandparents got saved. Through her, my dad got saved. He was discipled through Martha Breckenridge. Even as a child, she had great influence in my life. So today... Uh, Not only do I have what I believe in Scripture, but I have this experience that I grew up with. I believe that God uses women today in the church. I believe there's a place for women in leadership. So this pastor and I, we have a quite different interpretation of how this plays out. But what we've come to is like we've agreed to disagree. I respect his position, he respects my position, and we continue to work together for the good of the kingdom. In other words, we're agreeing We're agreeing to to disagree. I don't have to win. See, if I win, that means he loses. And I don't want him to lose because he's a really important part of the body of Christ. So we have come to the places where we say, hey, we agree to disagree. I still love you. You still love me. And we're still going to work together to reach as many people as we can for Christ. We're not going to allow this non-essential to bring division. Now, I love the way Mark Dehan says this, and I put this quote in your notes. He says, We need not all agree, but if we disagree, let us not be disagreeable in our disagreements. <laughs> That's a bit of a tongue twister. Man, it's so well stated. May we be those who value unity over being right. We value unity. or we're just winning. Here's a final obstacle that, keep us, that can keep us from unity. That's when we hold on to points of offense rather than giving grace and forgiveness. Listen, unforgiveness always breaks down relationships and it results in division. When you choose to hold on to rather than letting go of. The unforgiveness is, is like a wall that creates separation and allows bitterness to grow in our lives. When we hold on to points of offense and refuse to let go of hers, we're, we're feeding division. We're feeding that rather than working for unity. Now, let me say, just to be clear, that there's a big difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And forgiveness, forgiveness does not mean that trust has been instantly restored. Listen, Trust has to be earned. I, I understand that. But if you never get the forgiveness, then there's not the possibility. There's not the possibility of reconciliation. There's not the possibility of unity. See, unforgiveness will keep us from the unity that we're charged to work for. And I could give you countless stories this morning. I've seen unforgiveness destroy marriage, the marriage relationship. To destroy the unity in the marriage relationship where someone chooses to hold on to, bitterness sets in, a wall goes up, unity is destroyed. I've seen it in families. I've seen families destroyed because they're holding on to something in the past rather than letting it go. And what they have is animosity instead of unity. I've seen churches divided and destroyed. Because those who have received great mercy and grace are not willing to give mercy and grace. They get stingy with grace. And they hold on to to the unforgiveness. And what ends up happening is the body of Christ becomes divided. And if we're going to have unity in our marriages, unity in our families, unity in the church, then we must be willing to give grace. Grace that forgives. The reality is, is we're we're all flawed. Can we agree on that? We all have faults. We all have failures. What does that mean? It means we're gonna mess up, it means we're gonna drop the ball, it means we're not always gonna get it right. So if we're gonna come together in unity, then there has to be grace that forgives, that makes way for that unity. Then Colossians 3:13. The Scripture says this, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord's forgiven you. Forgive as the Lord's forgiven you. And it's that forgiveness that then opens the way for unity. It opens the way for us to come together. Folks, what What's clear from the Bible, and I said this earlier, but I want to come back to this. What's clear from the Bible is that God desires unity, not uniformity, but unity. It's not about us all being the same, but working for unity and the beauty of our diversity. Just look around the room this morning. I know those online, you're going to probably have a hard time with this. But for those here, look around the room. Look at the beauty of the diversity that we have within our Grace Covenant family. God's not saying, hey, you got to all be alike. But he's saying, in your diversity, come together. And when that happens, what we discover is that it's there that God pours out his blessing. How many of you like the blessings of the Lord? How many of you want to live in the favor of the Lord? Let me tell you how you get there. It's through unity. It's unity in the marriage, it's unity in the family, it's unity in the church that positions us to live in and live out God's favor. And it's unity in the church that opens the way for the Holy Spirit to work in a dynamic way And what we read in Acts chapter 2 is daily, every day, people were getting saved. The body of Christ was growing exponentially. Why? There was unity in the church that opened the way for the dynamic of the Holy Spirit to work. And I believe the same can happen for us here at Grace Covenant. So may we be a people who work for unity. And we work for unity. May we make it a priority. You know, as we make it a priority, again, what you have to know is unity unity doesn't begin by examining others. It begins by examining yourself. Unity doesn't begin by pointing your finger at someone else. Unity begins by you looking inside of you. Saying, what do I need to do to be an individual who's working for unity again in the marriage, if you're married, in the family, your family? In the body of Christ. As we're living out love. As we're caring for one another. You know, I love the scripture in John 13 where Jesus gave the command. You know, he says, hey, here's the new command. You need to love one another. And he goes on to say this. That the world will know that you belong to me because of how you love. May that be true of Grace Covenant Church. May the community out there know that we belong to Christ because of how we love. And may the outflow of that be a unity that makes way for the Holy Spirit to move in your life and in this church family. Can I get an amen on that? Would you stand to your feet with me? Lord, I thank you today for the power of your spirit in our lives. God, I thank you today for the provision of the cross for your rescue of our lives. Lord, that you have brought us into a family. And Lord, what I know today about our family is it's not perfect. We're far from perfect. We have our flaws. We have our issues. But Lord, our passion is to know you. Our passion is to live for you. Our passion is to love as you love. So Holy Spirit, we ask today, Lord, I ask for everyone here, for those who are watching online, Lord, may you overflow us with your love. Lord, may we be those who take your love and walk that out. Again, in our marriages, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our community. And Lord, may that love be lived out in such of a way that it brings unity that opens the way for you to do all that you would want to do through grace covenant to our community. Lord, we avail ourselves to that. And Lord, may, may we not be guilty of looking at someone else first and saying they're the problem. Lord, may we those who first look at ourselves and say where's the problem in me what is it that I might need to address in my own life that we can work for the unity that you've called us to a unity that makes way God for you to dynamically work through us to this community Lord I pray these things in Jesus name Amen